This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup cross-country event, which is taking place in the beautiful Canadian Rockies, March 20th to the 22nd. Not only can you see the best racers in the world battle it out to hoist those giant crystal globes and their beauties, let me tell you, not that I know, I don't have any, but I've seen them. But don't just sit on the stands and cheer on the athletes. There's so many amazing events that are going on around the town of Camor throughout the whole weekend of celebrations. Chandra Crawford's Fast and Female organization will be hosting its ever-popular champ chat for 100 girls on Saturday, March 21st. Another Olympic champion that just happens to live in paradise, Camor, Alberta, is Becky Scott, whose organization, Spirit North, will have so many amazing events. You can see powwow, dancing, drumming, and she'll be at the opening ceremonies. It's going to be a celebration not to be missed. Listen, Camor, Alberta is the absolute best town on planet Earth. Take it from me, one of the most biased people you will ever hear from. I love Camor. I live in Lillehammer. I miss Camor every day. If you like cross-country skiing and you want to see the best racers in the world, gun to tape, annihilate, hoist the globes, have fun, maybe have some free Gruyere cheese samples, all while taking in the amazing hospitality of Alberta and Camor itself, get your butts to the Alberta World Cup. You can find all the details at albertaworldcup.com. This is Jason Albert, and you're listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. In this episode, it is our post-Stage 3 freestyle sprint. Yes, we're going to call it just a straight-up sprint, even though it was a peculiar course. Okay, Here's the episode. Jumping right into stage three here. Yeah, let's get right into it. So here's the burning question. How do you feel like, and I know you're going to be a little biased here. How do you feel like your wife would have done on that course? I think pretty good. Inner prime, inner prime. We were, we were joking around about that. Like I was watching that and like Kristen's like, I don't know if that would have suited me. It's a little short. And I'm like, you've been, here's a, here's a little known fact about my wife, Kristen, who is maybe one of the worst sprinters ever. She, she has actually raced in two sprint finals in her life both of which have been in tours of course one was in oberhof it was a classic sprint but that classic sprint was a pretty long one but she she made the final she was fifth and once she also made the final in val Mustaire in a at about 1700 meters and quite a hard sprint there as well so seeing teresa really dance up that last climb yeah. i mean Kristen in her prime was a pretty good climber as well more than pretty good she was an amazing climber so i think that's uh quote unquote sprint course could have suited her well as as well we'll never know though <laughs> we will never know okay just and, and i don't want to spend a ton of time in this because i want to respect people's privacy but just we actually have not spoken about your wife that much to be i feel like so can you just give people a a 60 second summary of who she might be and why she might be recognized on the streets of Oslo, Lillehammer. Yeah. Well, my wife is Kristen Stormersteida. She is a ex cross country skier with the Norwegian team, a staple of the distance events, and actually has a bronze from the individual 30K in Sochi, where she was third. And she has, oh God, it's too many to count. She has a lot of individual medals from the world championships as well. Her first time jumping onto the podium there was in 2005 in Oberstdorf, and yeah, so she has a lot of a lot of rich history of racing at the top level, uh, especially in the distance events. And she is not known for her sprinting prowess. Let's just put it that way. She is definitely a climber. She's won the final climb of the Tour de Ski as well, 
which is Alp Tremise, as we've all come to know and love. Uh, so she's essentially the complete opposite of me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say like if there's a trail named after her, it's not going to be scrappy. It's going to be a little more. Oh, yeah, it would be it'd be okay. totally polished, although she grew up in Tana, Norway. For you geography buffs out there, if you want to check that out, it's further north than 70 degrees. It's 70 degrees really? north latitude. So, yeah, she grew up there. Um, so she's from... Hard. And, yeah, oh yeah, hard living. That's um, Both her parents were teachers and were teaching up there. And so her and her sisters and her brother grew up in in Finnmark, way up there. And then she moved down to Lillehammer when she was 16 to go to uh, Entege, like the sports school here in town. And then she's been in, I think most people that move down from way up north like that, uh, I think it's pretty hard to get them to, to move back up there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Hey, let's go where there's like five months of sunshine a year. Yep. Yeah, exactly. No, but she loves it up there. She loves fishing and hunting and that sort of thing. So it it is a cool place to grow up, I'm sure. But, um, now her family lives here. Her, her parents live here in Lillehammer, Norway. So that's a big reason why we live here in, uh, the city of the 1994 Olympics because her parents are here and now we have two children. So that is really nice to have help. (laughs) Okay. So it it seemed to me like one of the big personalities of today was the actual race course. Um, And yeah, so, so because, I mean, let's straight up like Teresa Yohog won. We, she can sprint. We've seen that in the past month. But not really, but not really. Right. right. She's not known as a sprinter. Exactly. But she did kill it today. Um, she sure did. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the course, and then we can transition into the the women's race. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of a spectacle like that? Well, you know what? I was very skeptical before the race started, seeing the course profile, and then and then watching some of the reactions. I'm like, oh my god! Like, what a sideshow! Like, what are we doing? Um, but you know, you know what, Jason? Like, I kind of loved it today. Like, I really did. I think they. It was a good mix. I'm so glad that why I say it's a good mix is that it, they kept it short. It was really short. It was under two minutes for the men. And it was about 2.30 for the women, just under 2.30, which is the perfect mix for such a sideshowy type event. It's not a sprint, but it's not a distance race either. Not even close. So it's, I, I like to call it like that is like an uphill sprint, essentially is what it was. And about a minute 15 of like very steep as you saw, they, I mean, it measured, like we talked about a couple days ago, that's 28 degrees, uh, the grade of that hill. So it is steep. And I, I, I thought it was actually a lot of fun, although not as exciting as you, like looking back on it with hindsight, it maybe is not as exciting as maybe you would have wanted. Because when you came to that last corner, if you were in the lead in that last corner, you finished right. there. So yeah. so you didn't, you didn't have that kind of like excitement, like right to the end. But on the hill, you saw a lot of people stiffen up like mad and start like if they were cycling they'd be called they'd be pedaling squares and skiing i don't know what you call that they're just legs turned to concrete and they were all aboard the pain train so that was i thought that was kind of fun to see and and you know what i also found it really interesting that some critics ended up having quite a good race like shavana um was really not into it shanava shanava was yeah, really not into yeah, it. that's right there yeah. we go yeah, was very, very critical of the course, and, and uh, yet he made the final after a tough prologue for him. And so there was a lot of, there was a lot of fun. There was a lot more fun than I thought. The crowds were pretty good. Cross-country's really struggled this year with um, 
<laughs> how do I put this nicely? A lot of the events just have been lacking that atmosphere that that you want to see in in live sports, especially on TV. And mm-hmm. it's just been kind of dead in cross country lately this season for some reason. And and today the crowds were packed because it's uh, winter break in Sweden and Ora is a very well-known alpine destination. So it was really great to see everybody show up and cheer on cross country skiing because like we've been talking about, while the Swedish distance men are the worst they've ever been in a hundred years, they still have a great women's sprint team. You saw that today, two, two women in the final uh, from Sweden, and it was great to see them get the hometown support like that. Yeah, from, from from just speaking of like the venue and the course, I maybe would have preferred, I mean, it was cool to see like a few heats, like, okay, wow, this is stout. And, but maybe like a two, you know, moving forward in, in a year or two, we'll see how the ski tour 2020, if it becomes a 21 and a 22 and whatever, but I don't think so. <laughs> we can get back to that in a second. Yeah, we'll get back to that. But if there's you know, a different iteration of this, maybe like two laps at the base of Iskiria, like I know this is, uh, it's apples and oranges in a way, but like the local high school league here, it's not even like, a, it's not the clubs, it's actual the high schools, which I think is actually really great. Um, they had a night sprint about a month ago uh, at the bottom of Iskiria, and it was just a super cool venue. One was it had dumped about a foot of powder and I could take off and skin up to the top of the hill while it was closed. So that was good. <laughs> um, that is that good. Yes, really absolutely. Good. Uh, but that said, yeah, which just kind of, it just made me think about, and I know people on the East coast have referenced this, that, that, you know, maybe in the near future, ski events, you know, for kids at the club level, maybe even super tours are going to have to be at the bottom of ski hills where they have, plentiful ski making you don't have to recreate that inf- or snow making you don't have to recreate that infrastructure it's there um so oh, it just for kinda, sure yeah it just made me think about like okay this is how it plays out at a world cup where you have this cool infrastructure you have built-in amenities for crowds and uh, and lights um anyway no, when that was fun, hey, under the lights was fun. It made for a great atmosphere. And like you said, it's all that infrastructure's there. That it, it's so it, it's a very small footprint compared to trying to pull that off in a random cross country venue. Okay, so from the I, I mean, we talked about the course and um the the women's I I mean Yohog kind of like Claybo on the guy's side really, you know, showed her raw fitness in particular in that final. Yeah. I mean, do we even need to flesh that out? No, I mean, I, what I found interesting about Teresa is she had a horrendously bad tactical race in the quarterfinal. She's slow out of the start. We know mm-hmm. that, but she was just stuck back there and like she was moving all over the place to try and find a hole. And you're right. She's just so much fitter, especially in that uphill terrain that she found a way in her quarterfinal, in her semi, great tactically, had a perfect line, skied beautifully, saved her energy a bit better, wasn't weaving in and out of the, like all around traffic, and had kind of a clear, clear heat. And in her semifinal, I'm like, there's no way anyone's going to touch her. I mean, it was just so well done tactically. And then in the final, a back to the quarter, she was like back to the quarterfinal, all over the place, sixth out of the gun kind of like moving back and forth, trying mm-hmm. to find a line. But in the end, at the end of the day, as great as Heidi is, and Heidi is an amazing climber, and as fit and stable as Astrid is, which wow, she had a great sprint to secure third today. Uh, Teresa, 
she did yeah, look great. Yeah. But Teresa was was just was not going to be stopped when it when it was an uphill sprint. And that said, her technique, her tempo, her stability, her angles, that it is hard to describe just how steep that terrain is. And what I did find quite interesting with it was when I watch Alpha Tremise, I'm kind of like, that's a real sideshow. I mean, people are looking like garbage because it's, you know, 15, 17 minutes up an alpine ski hill. Right. Your legs lock up after a couple minutes and then everyone's just kind of like peg-legging up there like on concrete legs or wooden legs to the top. Whereas today I found it kind of fun. Like they were skiing quite well. The ones that were having success still maintain good technique, good angles, and good stability. And Teresa showed that from from the gun. And I was also impressed with Teresa that everyone was saying after they saw the course last night, like, oh, Teresa's going to win, Teresa's going to win. And yes, she did win, <laughs> but, but she'd never won a sprint before. And like I said, the race was two and a half minutes. And so the uphill was really only, like we said, like maybe a minute and a half for the women. So... The fact that she is stronger than every other woman on earth in an event that really is like a one and a half minute drag race to the to the to the line says something about how much she's she's improved her overall capacity as a ski racer. When she was a junior and she was third in two thousand seven in Sapporo in the thirty k in the senior mm-hmm. world championships, there she was a junior. She finished third there. She did not have the capacity that she showed today. Uh, on the, over the shorter distances like that. So while the train suited her, it was still a it was still a fairly fun event, I thought. And she had a lot of pressure, and she she delivered, and she was happy at the end. You saw that. I mean, yeah, th- this she, meant, yeah, it, yeah. this meant something. This meant something to her, even though she did say in all her interviews, like it's not a real sprint win, but I'm gonna take it, and it is fun to go through so many rounds. She's not used to doing any rounds. Like if she gets to the semifinal, she celebrates like it's the world championship. So for her to do one extra round and win the final, I thought it was pretty fun to see. Here's a question because you're kind of immersed in that, you know, the Norwegian ski scene there, and I I know that the the research group up at the university, it's like that the research school up in Toronto. Yeah, NTNU. NTNU. Yeah, thanks. And there's a they they pump out some just wonderful cross country specific research and I I forget her name specifically, but I think she at one point may have been a colleague, you know, like a contemporary of Bjorgen on the ski trails and became an exercise physiologist, a, a woman. Yeah, Gudostrom Gudostrom yeah. She was uh she was a teammate of my my wife okay. as well. Yeah, she was on the national team. And she's published some great work. And and one of the papers that I think she's the primary author of, and I think maybe there's two of them, is that she had access to Bjorgen's journal, her training logs, for, you know, 15 years and could really drill down on all the patterns and her transition from, I believe, what people would call like lots of high intensity during a week and a little bit of like OD work and transitioning to maybe what people would consider a more modern philosophy of like a couple of really hard days and then the rest very controlled and tempered. And I'm, I'm rendering that down to a very crude um, kind of summary, but what do you think people might learn from, from Bjorgen or not from Bjorgen, but from how uh, Johog transitioned you know i'm just thinking of when you said like yeah she's had this great she's built up this capacity since 2007 when she was a junior to now for me i'm like oh gosh she's like a usain bolt like a once in a 
generation specimen? Like, can you really even replicate? Yeah. Um, yeah. I personally, yeah, that, that's what's hard. I mean, I think, I think Burian would be a better case study. I, I honestly, I think Teresa is that once in a generation, like it's, it's, it's crazy what she can handle with her training, but also too, how relentless and detail oriented Teresa is. And when she puts her mind to something like she just, she's obsessive about making the changes all while having like a very full life, like life as well. I mean, she, she owns a, or she started a clothing brand that she's quite involved in. She, it's not so passive and all her sponsor engagements. And she is a celebrity here in the country. She's the most, she's the most recognizable women's sports athlete in Norway at the, at the moment. And when you couple that all together, the fact that she's still able to make these improvements like this, it just, it just speaks volumes to how passionate about the sport she is and about how, how into the weed she's willing to go and nothing's impossible. And I mean, I, I've done some strength sessions with Teresa where uh, it's just crazy how strong she is, even though she's so short and so small. And like, I mean, when this is when I was a professional athlete as well, and she's just like, there's no way. I mean, my stability through my core and right, was, ne- sure. was, was never bad. <laughs> like I wasn't bad at it, but yeah. uh, stacked up against Teresa and just to see how she works uh, it's incredible. And and then as well, like some of her days, I mean, my wife was a little bit like this too. And I don't, I think this is where you really can't replicate it because like I needed a nap in the afternoon. I was essentially living like a 65 year old Spanish man, you know, <laughs> siesta, like we're shutting it down for a couple hours. Then we'll rev back up, have a coffee, talk some shit with my friends to get out and train, like just like that kind of regimented life. Whereas my wife and Therese is the same. Like they just don't need sleep. I don't understand how they're able to train uh, like yeah. this. And like Teresa napping in the afternoon, like absolutely not. Teresa and, and my wife, like five thirty in the morning, boom, they're up. Let's do this cup of coffee. We're like getting the day going. I, I have no idea. And I think seeing that and seeing all the people I've trained with and been around, like there is very few athletes that that can operate at that level of training with what I would consider that level of non-rest but they are resting in their own way and uh, yeah so i think i think digging into teresa she just she's made these improvements by just willing it to happen but that said where she's starting is is that once in a generation talent she is just you know people can argue all day long about talent but she is the high one of the highest recorded vo2 maxes ever for a female athlete and when you couple that with strength and stability technique that she's made such improvements on and and all the rest of it it really puts her in a class above the rest and as and you and that's on display not just today i mean we're going back through the years now but uh, teresa has been uh she's a tough she'd be a tough um bar to to try and <laughs> find nuggets to try and replicate right, because i think i right. think some athletes are just like that and teresa is definitely one of those Okay. On the guy's side, um, the Claybo show. And I have to be honest, like in the final, when I believe it was three across, it was Pellegrino. Um, but it was Renault, Pellegrino and Claybo three across going pretty much under that, that Audi banner on the final climb. And Claybo just like took off. And I would say that for every two cycles he had in his jump skate, Pellegrino had won. And Pellegrino looked good. Really good. Yeah, he looked great. But it was like a complete... uh, Yeah, it was just like a... 
destruction. And he finishes with like a 20 meter gap as he cruises around the corner and looks back. It's like, oh, okay, I got this. Yeah, I know. It was, it was a max demonstration of strength for, for Claybo today. We knew how good he is in sprints. I mean, he, he can't be stopped in sprints. But uh, today, when he turned on the jets like that, I mean, I thought he looked solid through his quarter and, and his semi. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I was actually, I, I thought Pellegrino today looked quite good. And in that final, when Pellegrino did that first jump, so before the the image you're talking about, he Pellegrino was the first to dig, really. And I thought he was going to go. Yeah, when he did a little bit, and he looked really good. But then Claybo just shut it down so quickly. I'm like, uh oh. And then you, after a couple sips of tea, it's over. I mean, Claybo turns on the jets, and if you want to talk picture perfect technique on steep terrain, I don't even know yeah. how it's possible. I mean, he was moving so fast and not wild at all. I would never describe his hop skating as wild or like thrashing. It was smooth, beautiful, attacking, forward, high hips. It was crazy. So uh, no one was going to match that today. And, and Claybo takes a huge boost to confidence. It's been it's been a tough tour for him. And he can be a real sucky boy. I mean, he, he, he likes to win and he's not used to not winning. And I, this has been hard on him, of course, to have such bad races in, in Ostersund. Of course, he's worried about his finger. You saw it today, it's taped up. But um, t- for him to be able to put that level of power into his upper body, obviously his finger today is not bothering him uh, in, in such a short burst of effort. And I mean, there's so much force going through his pole straps like that. So uh, it looks good for the races to come. I mean, the the long distance race, the 38 kilometer race. It's a mass start that's coming up here. Uh, if he can hang with them, I mean, he'll he'll win. I mean, if, he, if he's at the finish line with those guys, he's going to beat them in a sprint finish. And then you have a classic sprint in Trondheim, but 30k pursuit start. Uh, I mean, yeah, bullshit enough. We should get into that too. I mean, what I kind of I know he probably didn't do it quite on purpose, but it was a bit of a dirty mood move by Kruger trying to kind of close the door, but he was losing his losing his balance but uh he comes away with a yellow card which quite frankly he should feel lucky to get a yellow card with that because that was okay that, i mean he skied over bolshenov ski like no question then he fell then bolshenov fell in front of him and it, it, i know he's not doing it on purpose they're fighting for that inside line in that corner there sure. but but bolshenov kruger was not even close to in front of bolshenov when he started moving in and yeah, that was sad to see because you know you don't want you don't want. Um, I don't think the overall tour will be affected by by that, but you know it could very well be. And Bolshinov had nowhere to go, and Kruger just essentially skied right into him, fell, and then Bolshinov, of course, fell over him. So that that was too bad. But those things happen in sprints, and it has nothing nothing to do with a special course like it was today. It has everything to do with that um, real estate and and space is is re- very limited in sprints and if an athlete makes a bad decision or loses their balance in a bad place or a bad part of the course, like in, in a corner, like it was today with Kruger, um, you know, an athlete like Bolshinov just has absolutely nowhere to go. And, and uh, that was his chance for the final and, and lost some valuable seconds. Right. So, so yeah, just to kind of recap that, that was in the semifinal and Bolshinov, got tangled with Kruger and I think Bolshinov finished out in fourth place. He finished in fourth and did not advance to the final. And so what that leaves us, you know, going into stage four, which is going to be the 38 K it sounds like, well, we'll get to this, but there might be some dicey weather coming in. <laughs> yeah, there uh, is. Yeah. 
Okay, so before we get to the dicey weather, Bolshinov sits in second overall at 23 seconds back to Goldberg, who, who is leading. Currently, Klebo is in 16th overall, 158 back, and that factors in, you know, the 60-second the time bonus that Klebo has uh, taken today with the win. So, yep. Okay, so stage four, um, what are you hearing about what may or may not go down? Well, the weather doesn't look good at this point, and going over, quote-unquote, the mountains. Luckily, you're, you live in Bend, so it's, uh, it's not mountains like you're used to. The people that live in Colorado in... The people that live in the most beautiful place on planet Earth, Camor, Alberta, yeah, these mountains that they're skiing over are definitely not uh, not really mountains, but they, but still, they, it is over fairly exposed terrain, and the wind can really whip up. And if there's snow, I mean, we'll just have to wait and see how it goes. I mean, uh, there's been some challenges with this tour with a lot of other things, and uh, it's a really cool stage. I hope that they'll be able to pull it off and. Uh, even though it's very fast, it's, it's been run like as a loppet before. And Anders Sodegren has won it not that long ago, like after he's been retired from a professional skier in an hour 10. So if a retired athlete is going an hour 10 over the mountain, um, you, you have to expect these men are going to be at least that fast. They'll be faster than that if it was the same conditions. But like you said, we'll, we'll have to wait and see with the weather and, uh, that'll make it exciting for us on TV. Although if the weather's so bad, maybe we won't get any images and it'll be like some of those tour stages or Giro stages. Oh, mostly, yeah. mostly it's the Giro, eh? Like where you're just looking at the finish line camera and like nothing's happening for 45 right. minutes and <laughs> you just feel so bad for the commentators. They're like trying to talk about something. It's like, we've lost our, uh, heli connection. So, uh, and you're just like, Oh my God, that's a nightmare to talk into blank space sure. for 45 minutes. Maybe that's what we get to see on stage four, but it is an exciting stage. 38 kilometers. Like you said, men and women do the same distance. Um, they're limiting the feeds. I don't think that's going to make a big difference when the course, like I said, soda green's done it in an hour 10. So really you get a feed at 15 minutes. You only really have to make it 40 minutes without drinking. I mean, they can do that or maybe some will opt to bring, to bring drinks with them, but that's really not that exciting. But, <laughs> but anyways, got to try some stuff, whatever. And, uh, then into Trondheim for the last, the last couple stages, which will be a pandemonium. Trondheim is a great ski city. Uh, like I said before, some of the best, the biggest stars in, in cross country skiing come from that city and that area. So, uh, look for amazing atmosphere there, which will be really great to see. Okay. So just in closing, I, I am curious cause I did notice there was a, something posted yesterday where there was an image and maybe it was a short video of the, the waxing situation for the teams that did not have buses and it, it looked kind of grim it was like almost indoor like indoors and maybe a parking garage i, I i'm yeah it was have you seen this yeah, no, no, i have i've been following this this is blown up in the norwegian media as it should be yeah um, what are they saying well, i mean it's ridiculous is what it what it's saying you know especially right now with the with health especially like in norway especially right. with uh high fluoros burning high fluoros into bases and having technicians standing right over those high fluoros breathing that stuff in uh these these wax trucks while they while it looks super pro and it looks like f1 the only reason why they have wax trucks like this is well not the only reason but a major reason is is health of the staff i mean there's been a lot of complaints to fis over the years they put it in the rule book that they have to have a certain amount of ventilation, this, that, and the other. But week after week, year after year, FIS doesn't enforce their own rules. And in the end, 
it's an arms race. Everybody gets these buses and uh, these transport trucks that are tricked out into to moving wax rooms. But really, what what the technology lies in those, of course, it is easier not to haul skis and equipment in and out of vans all the time. Everything stays in one place, mainly that semi truck. But uh, another big thing is they are tricked out with ventilation and very high tech to try and vacuum out, suck out those fluorocarbons as they're being burnt into bases. It's, it's actually quite incredible. If you ever get a chance to look at one of these uh, as a ski fan, it, it is, it's, amazing, it's an amazing feat of engineering. But the fact that FIS has done nothing to mitigate this is ridiculous. And they're supposed to have checked out the venues and you have all right. these regulations with ventilate, especially with ventilation, because this is where uh, there's no hiding behind that fluoros aren't dangerous anymore. They are. They're dangerous for people's health when you burn them directly into the base. And what's worse than that, when you put a bunch of teams together in one mm-hmm. tight room with a low ceiling underground with zero ventilation and just put up some fences with like garbage bags taped to them, <laughs> like as dividers, right. Right. as dividers and right. say like, that's good enough. So huge miss by FIS. Uh, the technicians and the smaller teams that don't have access to these 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 uh, these semi trucks that cost hundreds of thousands of euros to trick out. I mean, it, it put them in a bad position, and it, it was right of them to to call to call into account that. And the other big scandal that had happened in Aura that I thought was just hilarious <laughs> was e- Evo Niskanen was pretty upset with the accommodation situation that the Finns were in. Oh, yeah. They were in a military base or a military camp about 40 minutes outside of Aura. For 20 people, there was only two toilets. Well, the Americans, this is like the first time ever, Keegan's probably kicking herself going like, why am I not racing? Like, that was always me in the military base with Canada. But... This time around, the Americans and the Norwegians were living large in Oda, and Oda is the kind of alpine capital of Sweden. So a nice hotel in Oda is a very nice hotel, while Evo is out there eating dinner with with like military personnel in a buffet, living like this is ridiculous, and FIS has to figure out a way to make this more fair. I mean, for me in my career, this was something that just grated at me and Alex especially. <laughs> I like you mean every time you're in a place with with the accommodation who stays as close to the venue as possible Norway does and who's out in like the the boonies always Canada Poland Kazakhstan we're always like way the hell out there like 45 minutes from the venue while Norway is living large walking distance from the venue and the fact that this happened again here not surprising but what is surprising is evo uh really coming hard against this and then it got into a discussion and there is no excuse i know it's i know it's winter break in sweden and Oda is a vacation town and everyone is there from sweden that likes to alpine ski is there for the week with their kids so hotel rooms come at a premium there's not a lot of space but guess what when you are the organizers of Ski Tour 2020, you get to decide or you put in the dates you want. And <laughs> you know it's going to be packed in order. You know that. And the fact. And they've been planning this for three exactly. or four years. Exactly. Yeah. And then saying sorry at the end, not good enough. Come on now. You have a horrible wax room situation. You know better than that. It's 2020. And putting teams in an active military base with active personnel, like eating in, like. Uh, this is the World Cup, and it's not fair to Evo 
to have to think about that corner. And not just Evo. I mean, the Canadians were in the same military base. I mean, it's hilarious. Of course they were. We always are. But it's just, these are the kind of, these are the kind of subtleties that, that this really needs to start taking the lead on. I don't know what, I don't know how you solve it because Norway also comes with the biggest team, right? So the biggest team needs the most space. And then of course, when there is one or two nice hotels in some of these small places that are close to the venue, maybe they have blocked out the entire hotel in Norway. They're like, okay, well, they come with 50 people. So that's filled up. We fill that up right away. And someone like Sweden, oh, sorry, sorry, someone like Finland or Canada with smaller delegations, they get kind of like stacked here and there. I understand that that's a challenge, but maybe some sort of lottery system. So it's not always the small teams. Uh, way out in, in the middle of nowhere, eating like boiled potatoes and I don't know, pickled herring while uh, Norway and, and in this case, the US are living large eating croissants and uh, smoked salmon in a five star or like four plus star hotel right in right in Ora. So they got a lot of pushback today, the, the organizers of Ski Tour 2020. And as they should, that's well deserved. They had a lot of time to, to to organize this and they should know better they should know better of course this is going to blow up and be a big thing okay two things as i'm looking you mentioned like the fins they're they're pretty hardy folks man and i remember like in lati reading some of the plaques around the venue and i didn't know about this at the time have you ever heard of the battle of lati yeah i have now and i'm looking at it and i must have misunderstood this and and is they may have repelled did they repel the russians they did Okay. For a for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, but in that particular in that particular uh, instance, they did. So okay, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that an says absolute, something. Oh yeah, it is, an, and and just living in Finland is uh, you have to be hardy because those winters are well, much like where I grew up, I, I guess, in, say, in Ontario. Like, but uh, still, same same. But saunas, you know, saunas and beers can. Um, yeah, but they uh, that can get you through or, many yeah. a many a hard winter. Okay, so maybe they have that in the back of their minds. They're like, they repelled the Russians. There's nothing like sleeping in a couple barracks. It will be nothing for Evo. There's that. Yeah, you, yeah. You do think that? Maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe that's what the organizers are thinking. Exactly. You know, it's like you're you're complaining. Like, it's okay. <laughs> at least the Red Army is not knocking on your that's door. That's right. Okay, so there's a little history lesson. The other is, and I think I just want to make a small correction here, or maybe it's a big correction. So last episode, and I don't, I've looked, I'm like, gosh, I could have sworn I saw this press release come by. And we were talking about the Ustagoff in biathlon who had been implicated in doping and they were going to take away the medal for the, the men's relay in Sochi. Yeah. Right. Remember we were talking about that? Yeah. And I could have sworn that I saw it come across and, and I've been trying to find this press release that it was also the first name, Sergei. And that's why I was so confused. I was like, huh? Not the cross-country guy. I understand these two have the same last name. It is Evgeny Ustagov. <laughs> oh, you know what? These are such classic Russian names. We get mixed up, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so I just Evgeny, want to clarify Evgeny, that. Evgeny, Evgeny Dementiev was another famous doper of EPO uh, on the Russian team. So maybe it's all just getting confused. It's all getting confused. So anyway, I just want to throw that out there. Okay. So oh, good I, retraction. Yeah, that's my retraction. And so next is let's I got my fingers crossed for like a full on stage four. That's what I'm hoping for. I, I, I think it could be, although if the weather is as bad as they're calling for, I think the men's race is just gonna be a comfort cruise and a big sprint finish. But well well, you never know. You know, I thought I I have made the mistake recently 
that that would be what happened in Falun on that dead easy course with that strip right. of snow through through the woods. And Han, Hans Christer Holen decided right. like, uh, how about no? Remember last year in Seyfeld when I also didn't want that? I'm just going to take the lead on this and blow the field apart. And he did. So there, there is hope that it could be an exciting race, but That's, nothing's yep. going to match the excitement of Biathlon again today. Did you see that? <sighs> Dorotea takes no. the win again at home. Not. Oh my God. It was a, in the individual, she won by like two seconds mm. in the individual. So it was a really exciting finish there in Antholz. And, um, it's been a so busy by, morning here in Bend. Yeah, I, I can imagine, but you can, you have, you have fun, you have fun digging into that and reading about that. Cause that was, uh, that was quite the, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking at it right now. I, I, it was I amazing. How, how, how did our people, uh, individual, uh, not, individual. not, not that good, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Okay, but, that's that's but the fun. Race at the, but the race at the top was uh, was very exciting, and Antholtz just looks like what a venue. I mean, I've never been to Antholtz. It's funny. I've been talking. I was talking to Justin Wadsworth on the phone, who's the head coach of the, the oh, Canadian yeah. team for Bathlon uh, the other day, and and he was he was saying like, how many times you've been to Toblock? I'm like, I don't know, thousands. It's like, how have we never driven the 25 minutes up the road to this place? Because it's amazing. And it does look amazing on TV. Like the venue looks stunningly beautiful. So it does. Okay. Put uh, that on the list. Yep. Okay. But uh, no, but anyway, it's a great sprint today, yep. like you said. And uh, I hope, I hope the folks at home enjoyed it. Let us know what you think about it. I mean, yeah. it's not every day you see a sprint like that and we probably won't see a sprint like that again. So what are the fans that uh, out there? The fourteen fans and my mom. That uh, there's I'm more. Just, there's I'm more, just, dude. I, I I know there is. I know. I'm just I'm just being facetious. But um, no, let us know what you thought. I thought it was a lot more exciting than I thought. I yeah. In summary, I really thought that today was just going to be like, oh god, we're trying to do some stupid sideshow. Like, what's wrong with the normal skate sprint people? And I was pleasantly surprised. So good on the organizers. The one win the organizers had was keeping that sprint short. Yep. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Evan. Have a great evening thank you have a great evening as well and look, right. dig into that women's individual in biathlon because it was a, it was a real stunner i'm going okay. to ciao all right take care bye thanks for listening and just a heads up it is wednesday morning here in the u.s it is going to be late afternoon there in sweden where actually we received a note from fist this morning due to the inclement weather expected Tomorrow's planned stage four point to point 38k mass start skate for both the men and women has been rerouted and will start and finish in the same stadium.